energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not really. It's the various factions under him and it suits them to have him at the front. You're trying to save for a house deposit and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money. How on earth are you going to do that if a pint is £7? There are certain key things that we want from India and there are certain key things that they want from us. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. It's Prime Minister's Questions Day. Happy PMQ's Day to all who celebrate. Uh, Ewan, it looks like, though, this, of course, the first PMQ since those two by-election wins for Labour, but we may not have a lot of gloating from Keir Starmer. Yeah, a lot of good news last week for Labour, but some tricky questions for Keir Starmer today, actually. And not from Prime Minister's Questions, but uh, he's reported to be meeting Muslim MPs today amid tensions over his stance on the uh, Israel-Hamas war. The row centres around a clip from LBC last week where he was asked whether it was appropriate for Israel to cut off the supply of power and water to Gaza to which he replied I think Israel does have that right he since insisted that he only meant to say that Israel has a right to self-defence so there's quite a lot of discontent within the Labour Party particularly from Muslim MPs but from others as well uh, about the uh, stance that Starmer has been taking on this Uh, he did go to South Wales Islamic Centre in Cardiff on Sunday in an effort to uh, mend relations that didn't go so well this centre put out a rather strongly worded statement criticising the Labour leader. Uh, And more than that, Stephen, I think uh, it's really affected by the number of councillors who've left the Labour Party, between 19 and 25, depending on whose reports you believe. But that is a lot of councillors to lose over a short period of time. Yeah, look, another 150 Muslim Labour councillors have written to Keir Starmer calling uh, for him to call for an immediate ceasefire uh, in Israel and Gaza as well. So this is an issue that we're likely to see uh, an international, I suppose, uh, questions, perhaps a theme coming over Prime Minister's questions as well. You'd be sure that uh, Rishi Sunak will be looking to make hay on any potential divisions in the Labour Party, because of course Labour being so far ahead in the polls as well. It's also a year since Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister, so a year of, of him taking these Prime Minister's questions too. And that's also a moment to reflect, I suppose, on where the Conservative Party is under uh, Rishi Sunak and also how well better or more stable things are compared to this time last year when we were talking about everything that happened during Liz Truss's brief premiership. Yeah, we're going to dig into that a little bit later on in the show. We're going to speak to Dave Goodman from our markets team. Of course, the markets were, well, quite frankly, a mess, weren't they, a year ago? That uh, reaction to the mini-budget. Things have got a lot better uh, over the past year. But we're going to or speak. have they? Or have they? We'll get into that later on because that's, <laughs> I mean, that, that is the question, is the things that... Um, the things that uh, Rishi Sunak promised to do in his first speech at Downing Street very much still relevant uh, today as well. So that's a conversation we'll have coming up for you a little bit later on. We'll also uh, be hearing from our interview with the Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden later on too. Uh, he's been speaking to our colleague Francine Lacqua. That's ahead of the AI Summit that we've been talking about in the programme earlier in the week as well, coming up next week in a big um of course, issue that the government is very keen to put the UK at the centre of. Um, so that'll be something else that we'll be watching out for more details on too. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to just discuss the trouble that Keir Starmer has uh, with this issue. He's had to be very, very clear about his stance on Israel after uh, the Jeremy Corbyn leadership offended so many in his party and so many Jewish voters. Uh, so, But I think the stance is particularly tricky because Labour is a, is a wide coalition. It has a lot of Muslim members, lots of Muslim elected representatives, uh, and many people in the Labour Party, Muslim or otherwise, uh, feel quite strongly uh, that, that, that Palestine has been badly, badly treated. And so Keir Starmer has to tread that line. Yeah, and look, this is very much central to the position that Keir Starmer finds himself in with this massive lead in the polls 
all signs pointing to a Labour emerging as the biggest party at the next election and the idea of how something could get in the way of that and derail what looks like a fairly, you know, at this point, trajectory towards taking power. What could happen in the meantime? Is this an issue that could cause divisions in the Labour Party and perhaps derail the path that Labour looks to be on at this moment as well? So it is an interesting test of his leadership, of how united the Labour Party has been under Keir Starmer, but also how he handles a very tricky international geopolitical issue, the sort of thing that as Prime Minister he would also have to be dealing with on a regular basis as well. So how he manages to tread the lines to find the right words to discuss something um, that we are going to be hearing more about. Let's listen in to Keir Starmer. Can I start by welcoming the new member for Mid-Bedfordshire? The first Labour MP ever to represent those beautiful towns and villages. He defied the odds, history and, of course, the fantasy Lib Dem bar charts. Can I also welcome the new member for Tamworth? She will be a powerful representative for her constituents. Is the Prime Minister as relieved as I am that those constituents are not burdened with his defeated candidate who told them, don't worry Mr Speaker, I'm going to sanitise this, to F off if they're struggling with the cost of living? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of what this government is doing to support the most vulnerable over the past year. Mr Speaker, can I, can I in fact join him in welcoming the new members to their places? After all, I suspect the new member for Mid-Beds may actually support me a little bit more than the last one. <laughs> although, although, although I did... I did, notice, I did notice that the new member said that they will be opposing new housing in their local area, while the new, while the new member for Tamworth claimed that they will protect green spaces. I would urge them to have a word with their leader, because that's not exactly his position, Mr Speaker, although with his track record of U-turns, who knows what his housing policy will be next week. So much for being the change candidate, he can't even distance himself from those appalling comments. But, but I do have to ask him, I do have to ask him, where on earth does the Prime Minister think his candidate got the idea in the first place that throwing expletives at struggling families was his government's official position? Prime Minister! Mr. Mr Speaker, let's just look at the record of what this government is doing to help those people for around half of a typical family's energy bill over the last year, support worth over £1,500, for the most vulnerable in our society receiving £900 in direct cost of living support, record increases in the national living wage, record increases in welfare, and this winter, Mr Speaker, pensioners to receive an extra two or £300 alongside their winter fuel payment to help them through what we know is a tough time. All of that, Mr Speaker, significant support funded by this government, all of that would be put at risk by Labour's reckless plans to borrow £28 billion a year. He keeps boasting about how great things are. The voters keep telling him he's got it wrong. But I can see why the Tamworth candidate thought he was just following government lines. 
Annalisa and her two children lived in their home for eight years. In May, they were kicked out with a no-fault eviction notice. Despite his government's pledge to scrap no-fault evictions, this week the Prime Minister crumbled to the landlords on his own back benches and killed the policy. What message, other than the message delivered by his candidate in Tamworth, could Annalisa possibly take from that? Prime Minister Speaker, we've taken significant action to help renters like Annalise and others. We've capped holding deposits at one week. We've protected tenants from rip-off tenancy fees, delivered almost half a million affordable homes for rent, and halved the number of percentage of substandard homes in the private rented sector, and strengthened local authority enforcement powers because this government is delivering for renters. But we are also, Mr Speaker, trying to ensure the new generation can buy their own home. So perhaps he can explain to Annalisa and thousands of millions of others why, when we brought forward plans to unlock 100,000 new homes, he stood in the way of that. Just to say, it's Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions. Here's Dharma. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Prime Minister. It is Prime Minister's questions. I don't need you nodding against my decision. Well, I'm sure Annalise and her children, who have now been evicted, will take great comfort from that non-answer. Emma and her teenage son saw their mortgage go up by more than a quarter. They may think this is funny. This is real life. After 16 years of dutifully paying their mortgage, for the first time she's having to choose between new shoes for her son and putting the heating on. All because his party crashed the economy, pushing mortgage rates to their highest levels in decades. He he says ignore all that, ignore the fact that the guilty men and women responsible are standing again as his candidates and still setting his policy. Can he not see why Emma might think that his party is telling them exactly where to go? Mr Speaker, he he keeps talking about the mini-budget. I won't ask him a question, Mr Speaker. Well, I will just point out, he did actually support 95% of the things in that mini-budget, which I didn't, Mr Speaker. But again, he's he's had a whole summer to get on top of the details. He's still ignoring the fact that rising interest rates are a global challenge. They are at their highest level in America and Europe for more than 20 or 30 years. Mortgage rates have doubled in America, trebled in Europe. Now, what we do want to do to help mortgage holders is ensure that they can use the mortgage charter that we've agreed with the banks. And thanks to the steps that we've taken, someone with a £200,000 property with about £100,000 left on their mortgage could save over £350 a month and lock in a new deal six months before theirs ended and repossessions will be prohibited for 12 months from the first missed payment. He might have missed that that policy is twice as generous as Labour's. Absolutely tone deaf in every cafe, pub and supermarket in Britain, Britain having the same conversation. We can't afford that. Put it back on the shelf. It's too expensive. He is completely oblivious, just patting himself on the back. Emily and Jamie have worked hard and saving for years to buy their own home. They were nearly there last year, but he scrapped house building targets because his backbenchers pushed him around. 
House building has fallen off a cliff, shattering the simple dream of home ownership for people like Emily and Jamie. Can the Prime Minister now see that actually his candidate in Tamworth was just loyally following the party line? Mr Speaker, I think these, these prepared lines really aren't working for him anymore. He, he, literally, he literally asked a question. He literally asked me a question about the support that we're providing for mortgage holders. I gave him the answer to that question, and then he read from his script to say that we hadn't answered the question. We're providing significant help for all these people. He's moved on to housing targets, but here's the record. Two and a half million additional homes. Housing starts double what they inher- we inherited from the Labour Party. Housing supply up 10%, on track to deliver a million new homes, and a record number of first-time buyers, Mr Speaker. But again, he brings up his candidates in Tamworth and Mid-Beds. As we open this session, he's now saying he wants to build build homes. Well, both of those candidates want to say that they want to block new homes in their constituency. Okay, that was the... Uh, Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, and the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak there at PMQ. So references to the by-election victory from the uh, from the Labour Party leader at the start. Prime yeah, Minister's questions. And a nice little uh, little dig at the Lib Dems <laughs> and their bar charts. Of course, in Mid Bedfordshire, the Lib Dems uh, were trying to put themselves in contention, even though they came third last time, and uh, a bit of unhappiness at Labour, but a bit of mirth that it uh, didn't work out for them. Yeah, but look, another PMQ is dominated by the issue of housing. Mm. Uh, that was definitely Keir Starmer's line and his thread throughout all of his questions as well. Things about the uh, cost of mortgages, the cost of living in general, the issue about renters' reforms I thought was interesting, pointing to the fact that the the changes to no-fault eviction rules, uh, as Keir Starmer put it, the PM crumbled to the landlords and his backbenches and killed the policy. Rishi Sunak pointing to all the reforms they put in place uh, to try and protect renters as well. Home building coming up as well, something that was an issue in the by-election races too. Um, so again, we see that issue coming back to the fore in, in this exchange. Yeah, Rishi Sunak defending uh, what he says is a large package of measures put in place to help people uh, struggling with their mortgages and pointing out, this is something we'll probably discuss in a moment with our next guest, pointing out also that mortgage rates have risen right across the world and are high in the US uh, and Europe as well. But yeah, interesting that uh, housing, not for the first time, dominating Prime Minister's questions. Yeah, indeed. And look, this as on a day where we are a year on from Rishi Sunak becoming Prime Minister, taking over from Liz Truss after her policies sparked a crisis on the markets. In his speech on Downing Street, in, on Downing Street a year ago, Sunak pledged to, quote, place economic stability and confidence at the heart of his government's agenda. So 365 days later, how has he done? Dave Goodman from our Markets Today team joins us now to talk through how the markets have viewed Sunak's first year in office. Dave, great to have you with us on the show. Let's remind ourselves, first of all, travel back in time to a year ago and how markets had interpreted the decisions made by Liz Truss. Eek. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so going back to um, September, October um, last year, it's kind of quite easy to forget just how kind of febrile the markets were back then. We obviously had some concerns over over trust as the summer went on as it became clear she was in a win and she started outlaying some of her policies and then we we hit the mini budget and things just just went wrong very quickly we saw huge spikes in gilt yields that sparked a crisis in, in in pension funds the boe had to step in we saw the pound 
absolutely tumble. I remember we were talking about parity against the dollar, and that mm. was that people were talking about that as a real possibility. Didn't didn't happen. It, it bounced it's close. Off, got close. It got down to about one hundred three fifty, I think. But bounced off those off those lows. Fatu was 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 under pressure. All, all these things were were causing problems. I think it was the, the moving bond markets that particularly did did for Liz Truss because that was so kind of powerful. So a year on, how different are things now? Because actually, if you look at those UK government borrowing costs, they're in fact higher than they were this time last year. Yeah, that's that's a strange thing. Um, in in the short term, I think Sunak was seen as a very safe safe pair of hands. A lot of the kind of damage had been unwound once Truss had rode back on all of the policies. She'd got rid of her, her chancellor, brought in Jeremy Hunt. That was seen as good news. And then, and then, as soon as uh, soon that came in, that really brought more stability. And we saw a rally in gilt and a rally in UK assets. Interestingly, I think the pound and the FTSE are actually up since since Sunak took over. They actually their peak is, is well behind us. though. we're on a kind of downward trajectory there. And as you say, gilt yields are are higher. Um, as as he was saying in, in PMQs, then that's probably more of a, a global move now than a UK particular one, um, and it's been a far more contained drive higher, uh, grind higher, as opposed to the kind of really big dislocation exactly. we saw. And that's the key point: is the borrowing it, costs are higher, but it's because of, I suppose, orthodox actions being taken as opposed it, to less conventional ones. It is the key point, but if you're a mortgage payer, that doesn't really matter. Still, yeah. like, still, do, do you care if if your mortgage hurts. is double, triple because it was? A UK particular move or international move. I mean, I think he's right to point that out, but you can see why some people kind of feel that's not the best way to address it because they're still pay- their mortgages are still shut up, and there is some element where we we kind of got this this hangover from trust. And I think in people's minds, mortgage rates shooting up are now inextricably linked to to Liz Trust, no matter what else has happened. And so it's quite a difficult kind of line for him to push that. Mm, they're probably not sitting around talking about global guilt yields. I mean, they may be, but... Uh, I mean, I do. I'm not sure <laughs> other people do. It depends, <laughs> depends what your pub trips are like, I suppose. <laughs> what about Sudak's pledge from Downing Street about placing economic stability at the heart of his government's agenda? What, what, how, has, how has the economy been over the last y- year or so? I think broadly it's been better than, than was expected, certainly better than was expected this time last year we've obviously had a big increase in in inflation that starts to turn a bit but generally uk households have have weathered the the cost of living crisis a lot better than perhaps some people were fearing and we've seen slightly better economic growth i mean we're talking very slightly like we've had quarterly growth of about 0.1 percent had maybe slightly better than that occasionally but it's been very 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 low and nothing kind of to write home about at all the one thing that, that Starmer said then was he was talking about that the, the trust had, had wrecked the economy. And from a data point of view, that, that isn't coming through. Obviously, we had the big jump in mortgage rate and there was all the, the, the pension crisis that required a big um, reaction. But economic growth-wise, the UK just, I mean, didn't have much growth before. Trust hasn't had very much tr- growth under Sunak either, um, which is obviously the big existential crisis. Uh, question that's facing the economy is how do you make the economy grow and that's what hmm. Starmer is interested in it's what Sunak's interested in and well, we haven't o- come up with an answer yet that's the that. other part of what Rishi Sunak said you know we've got stability but how do we get confidence yeah confidence and just any policy that can make the economy grow that doesn't involve spending money seems to be the, the issue because obviously the budget is, is very tight because of the, the jump in borrowing costs it's a lot more expensive to fund these things now um, the 
the Chancellor has very, very little headroom, maybe even no headroom, to come at his autumn statement for for things like tax cuts or other things that can that can spark growth. So you're really looking for kind of easy wins, and quite a lot of those easy wins. I remember we were having this conversation a year ago. A lot of these easy wins are cut off for various reasons. Things like boosting immigration would help boost growth, but for political reasons, that that's not possible. So they can't access that that source. Um, there's things around planning you can do, but obviously, again, that, that, that came up again to say it's difficult for to build houses when mm. when you, you're not kind of pushing through big planning reforms because there is a lot of local opposition to each kind of new scheme. So it is, we're still where we are a year ago in that Trust had a plan for growth. Obviously, it was, yeah. it was firmly rejected. Sunak didn't really have a plan for growth and the UK still doesn't really have a plan for, for growth, at least in the kind of long, long-term big picture stuff that you can Dave, help. Great to join us. Thanks so much for coming into the studio. That's Dave Goodman from Our Markets Today team. Now, next week, the UK will host its summit on artificial intelligence, aiming to bring politicians and industry leaders together to discuss regulation of the rapidly evolving technology. Many world leaders, though, have declined invitations to the event. It's unclear who will represent the major tech companies. Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua has been discussing this with the Deputy Prime Minister, Oliver Dowden. Well, I think what we're seeking to do is build on existing work. So we've got the Hiroshima G7 Accords in this space. Uh, the President of the United States, with his voluntary uh, agreements, that's having a big effect. This is looking at those very high-end risks, and I think that uh, if we can build out through like-minded countries, but also working with other countries just to understand what the risks are and start to build a framework to deal with it. And I think there is a possibility for us to be able to at least come up with some kind of way of verifying these risks. Now, in my experience, and I dealt with this when I led the, the G7 track on the digital economy when I was digital secretary. Each country is going to have their different ways of regulating. But if we can agree the principles, then each nation state determines their own way of addressing it. So a year ago, there was mayhem in the markets. There was a mini budget, of course, of Liz Truss. Here you're in, in Saudi, FII. How are investors actually welcoming the UK? Well, it's, re- it's really striking, actually. And you, I'm sure you've seen uh, many uh, leading global investors from uh, Larry Fink at BlackRock, or, or all the way through Standard Charter and others, I actually hear a lot of optimism about the UK. I think they recognise that in Rishi Sunak, as our new Prime Minister in the past year, he's restored that sense of stability. And I think what investors want from the UK is what they've always had in the past, which is that stability, that certainty. If you invest in the UK, you can rely on the UK. And I think we're, we're really uh, delivering on that front. And the, many investors are saying to me, they actually think the UK is quite underpriced and there's real opportunities for them to invest more. Our next focus, though, is to build on that growth and investment. And actually, the sort of conversations, for example, I've been having with uh, Aramco and other Saudi companies, there's huge potential for investment in the UK, creating returns for Saudi Arabia and creating investment and jobs in the UK, and we see that, for example, in the, the northeast of England, everything from renewables through to, to a football team. Is geopolitics the biggest risk out there for the economies? And actually, is it also time to call ceasefire in Gaza? Well, part of my job uh, as Deputy Prime Minister is to analyse all the risks facing the UK uh, nation and uh, the state, and I, I do that by chairing the National Security Council on. Uh, resilience. Of course, when we, we look uh, across the geopolitical situation, we have a hot conflict right now in Russia, Ukraine. That hasn't gone away and we shouldn't take our eyes off the ball on that. We have 
uh, a very deep and worrying situation after those terrible terrorist attacks uh, against Israel and the humanitarian uh, disaster that's, um, that has happened in terms of the impact on Israeli citizens and innocent uh, civilian lives uh, lost across the board. And also we need to be mindful of, of other risks uh, around the world. So what I, I see in the situation in Gaza is a risk. Actually, what our Prime Minister said, and he was out here uh, last week, met with the Crown Prince. He also met with President Sisi, President Abbas, Prime Minister Netanyahu, about how we can make sure we try and de-escalate uh, this situation. And that, that is a, a goal of the UK government. And so what's the right way to de-escalate? And is there a danger that actually there'll be a, a backlash if, if bombs keep on dropping on Gaza? Well, I think we really have to recognise, and I have a very large Jewish community in my, my constituency, we have to recognise the scale of this terrorist attack by Hamas and the evil that they perpetrated. Over a thousand civilians are killed in cold blood. Israel does have the right to defend itself, and the UK government has supported that, whilst at the same time, and indeed this is recognised by the President of Israel, that Israel has to act within international law. So we're seeking to, whilst recognising that, uh, making the case for operating within international law and seeking to de-escalate. Exactly the same message coming from President Biden, by the way, when he met uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, last week as well. Uh, Deputy Prime Minister, a final question on, on the hostages. When do you think there will be more releases? Well, I, I was heartened by the further news today of, of further releases. Uh, we are working very closely to try and secure that release, including, of course, with our uh, Israeli counterparts sharing intelligence and information. But this is a rapidly evolving situation. You might, my thoughts and prayers go, go out to those poor hostages. Uh, we're doing everything we can to support their release. That's Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden speaking to Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua at the FII conference in Saudi Arabia. That's it from us for today. Today's episode produced by James Wilcock. Our audio engineer was Marie Phil Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.